Welcome to Let Me Know How It Is, a podcast about all things geek. We covered the DC Universe, and now it's Marvel's turn. Why we love the Marvel Universe. Thanks for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe so you can catch all of our episodes as they're made available. And now, on with the show. Okay, as promised, this one is why we love the Marvel Universe. I'm Zach Slater. I'm Frank Melman. I'm Tommy Smithereens. I'm Clifton. Okay, so as with the previous episode, I just want to let the listeners know out there, this is not an anti-DC episode. We love the DC universe. We covered it in the previous episode, so if you missed it, you can go to letmenowhowitis.com and check that one out as well. So uh, let's get started. Why, why do we love Marvel? All right, well, to prepare for this episode, I went back and read Marvel Comics number one just to see where it all started. <laughs> and something I noticed, and it's something they did back then, and it's something they've always done like throughout their history, and that is they come up with very good hooks and unexpected hooks for their characters. And I think it's just uh, like been a hallmark of theirs throughout you know, the, I guess, 80 years now of Marvel superheroes, or 81, whatever, up to. But in Marvel Comics number one, you had like a misunderstood android as a hero, which was the the first human torch. You had like the a tragic villain who was Submariner Namor. And then throughout their history, like I mean, not long after that, you got the kid who just wanted to help people but wasn't able to that became Captain America. And I mean, even up into more modern times, like Blade is a vampire vampire hunter like they just come up with interesting hooks and angles on characters that that make them more compelling cool yeah no i um i think that that's that's kind of uh that's the first thing everybody will say about marvel right is that the that they're the imperfect heroes right they're the they're the heroes that have like uh there's like a downside to the fact that they're a superhero right like spider-man's a perfect example of that right there's usually a very big flaw in like a lot of the character like i would say more I mean, I guess going all the way back to the beginning in the Marvel Comics number one, I never really thought about it that way until you mentioned it, Clifton. But yeah, I mean, if you go back and look at all of those, there's definitely that. I mean, it's kind of one of the things where I think it was funny when people were complaining about with the Marvel Cinematic stuff that all the origin movies are the same. I'm like, well, they're not really the same because then they would be the same character. having the same thing. have to overcome the same thing. People got it like, for example... You know, Tony Stark's kind of a douche who sells weaponry, and then he gets a he gets a a, a new heart, basically, <laughs> and changes and becomes right. a better person, right? And then people are like, "Well, Doctor Strange, he's like he's a he's a he's a dick who happens to be a, you know a master surgeon who then becomes." I'm like, right, but that's the that's one of the things about Marvel that Marvel does really well is the idea that no, a lot of these heroes, you know, before that they weren't great people, or they did have a flaw, or they did have something that you know, once they decided to change their ways or, you know, had, you know, greatness thrust upon them, whatever you want to call it, they do become more than what they were. Yeah. There's a transformation more in place for, for at least like all the big Marvel origins that I can think of. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like in the case of like Captain America, there's quite a literal transformation, right? Where like, you know, a scrawny, scrawny kid into, into, you know, Superman basically for lack of a better term. Right. Well, I liked it because it was I liked the way of storytelling. To me, Marvel felt more soap opery in the way that it was always fantastic accidents, things that were highly improbable or impossible. It was like there was a bigger destiny for the people involved almost. But 
when I loved about it, it, it and when I got started with really X-Men, it felt like none of the stories really contained the issue. It was always definite parts to it, which I felt was different from other comics I read in which the story was contained to one definite story within the pages. Marvel had a way of extending the story with a cliffhanger or a um, emotional ending or even if sometimes even emotional beginning, you know, in those in those famous catchphrases they had at the beginning of their comic. You know, what was the thing they had with the um, with the thing? This man, such and such or this man, this monster. Yeah, exactly. They would have stuff like that sensationalized in the first um, issue and they'll draw you into the emotional bearing of the character or the the grief or you know whatever they have to plot through or work through and then it end up into something entirely different that would lead you to pick up the next story it's very sensationalized i thought it's really a book ending book i mean you know like a closed ending that would lead to something totally different for the next issue one thing i with what i again it didn't really occur to me till i started looking and stuff for this this particular episode of the podcast was when you think about the backgrounds of the guys that were doing books before they started doing superhero books, a lot of them were like guys who did Westerns or did the romance comics. And I, I think, you know, not that the guys that were working at, the, at DC didn't have a different background, but for whatever reason, a lot of the, like you were saying, Tommy, the soap opera stuff comes mm-hmm. through. I think that, that, that that's an aspect that a lot of those, like, I mean, DC had a lot of stuff, obviously with Superman and Lois Lane. But Lois' main goal at that time, or Lana Lane's main goal at the time, was to expose Superman or Superboy's secret identity or to snare him, quote unquote, into marriage. Right. There wasn't a yeah. lot of like, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of like, if you read like the early, um, was it Tales to Astonish? Is that the first? No, Journey into Mysteries with Thor before Thor became its own book. You have a lot of that stuff with, you know, you know, it's a lot of internal dialogue, a lot of internal, you know, wheels turning and, and romance stuff of like, Jane Foster's pining, pining away for for uh, Doctor Bl- Donald was it Donald Blake? Yes, Thor? yeah, yeah Doctor Donald Blake. You know she's she's wanted to be with him if only he would make a move. And he's you know he's like, well, I'm a god and a man, but I'm a lame doctor and I can't do all the you know <laughs> you know. I mean that's the stuff. It's like that's the stuff that's like constantly is constant turmoil. And it's the same thing if you look at like early Daredevil. It's Karen Page is like, well, he's blind and I'd love to be with him, but I don't care about the fact that he's blind. And Matt Murdock's like, well, I'm blind, but at the same time I'm Daredevil and I'm out there every night doing my thing. And you know, Fog is sort of like comic relief in the background but you know that's and it's 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 one of those things from like story to story it, that's one of the, the marvel especially in the 60s and they, and they still do it somewhat today but it was it was definitely at those beginnings of the re- rebirth of superhero stuff that they got right and a lot of it i think does come from the fact that some of them cut their teeth on doing the romance stuff i don't know so much the western stuff they might have been that's where they got the action from but definitely i think the romance comics in their background helped build that part of it up and again i think it works way you know it's a much better storytelling device than dc ever does it around the same time okay yeah no uh you got you guys are going all in directions i wasn't quite anticipating just yet so so clifton bringing up marvel number one now i'm frank i'm with you on that one like i didn't quite think about that one when i was preparing for this show i was thinking the marvel universe more is fantastic four number one kicking off yeah me too right you know but that's an interesting I mean, that is something that I guess we should say really quick is that like, you know, Marvel was a company um, that didn't start off as Marvel. Right. Right. And and um, and you had characters like Namor and uh, Captain America that were created under technically different companies that 
you know, Clifton, I'll defer to you because you're a little bit better at the, at the history sort of things than I am. But basically the, that, that company ultimately became Marvel. And then those characters got sort of like ushered in. Yeah. Later they, on. they picked and chose the earlier characters and brought some. So the ones we have carried over Captain America from 1941, Namor from 39, original human torch from 39 appeared uh, Marvel comics. Number one, uh, Bucky appears right off the bat with Cap sure. in 41. Yeah. So they, they have some carryover and some of the characters from back then uh, did get lost in the golden age. And I don't know if they ever made it. There was an, an angel superhero in Marvel comics. Number one that I don't remember right. making it into the silver age until, I mean, they use the name angel for the X-Men character, but it's a different character. I don't think they really do anything with him at all, except until, I mean, he might show up in, Ugh. I want to say it's probably stuff like it when when Roy Thomas comes on, I believe, and does Invaders, when, right, they, when right. they sort of examine a lot of yeah, that golden throwback stuff. World War II stuff. And I think the only other time he might be mentioned or like even explored is in um, during the Kree Scroll War. There's a part where Rick Jones has you know this this melding with the the, the Supreme Intelligence okay. and is able to cre- and able to create like a version of golden age characters to fight for him that he had read about. Cause at that point, you know, those were characters he would have read about, but right. yeah. It, other than like that, like exploring that time, not really, but isn't, did you say, I'm sorry, did you say that Kazar is part of that too? Oh yeah. The Kazar in Marvel comics. Number one is, is like a golden age version of Kazar, but is different than the one that shows up in X-Men number 10. Oh wow. Okay. But it's like, it's the same name. And, but this, that one lives in Africa, I think. Okay, so it's not and not savage land. land. Okay, but it's All a very right. similar character, and they took the name. Huh. Okay. Huh. That one's just more of a that one's like more of a Tarzan, so no dinosaurs. Uh, okay. Or saber toothed tiger. So it's pretty much a straight rip at that point. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. But that is one of the characters that appears in Marvel Comics number one. Very cool. Yeah, I um, I'm with you guys with the soap opera aspects of things. I think that that's super important to Spider-Man. I think I think it's just as important, if not more, to be perfectly honest, than the action set pieces and everything. Because I do think that the soap opera aspect to to Spider-Man for me personally was what drew me in more. I think I've said about it. I think I've talked about in other episodes where it's like I would be disappointed when I would be in a scene with like Peter and Gwen or Peter and MJ. And then like the Green Goblin would show up and then we would have to switch gears into a Spider-Man plot. I'm like, ah, I kind of wanted to see what was going to happen there. Right. You know, but one of the other things I really like about Marvel besides the soap opera stuff is I like that the, the powers feel uh, lower level than, than DC to me. Right. And I think what, what's interesting about that is, is the stakes can sometimes feel a little bit higher in Marvel. Like death can feel closer. Mm -hmm. I think like the, the characters can feel a little bit more in peril. Right. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, the description that Marvel always gets is that they're more more street level. And I think that's kind of what they mean, what people mean when they say that, is it just feels, you know, more smaller scale, but smaller scale doesn't mean less danger. It means kind of more personal danger, I think, right. to a lot of the people. Yeah. And, and like many of the Marvel characters um, have lost people close to them, like major characters. I mean, Gwen Stacy and and situations like that, that, that just make it personal and make it like, uh, like closer, uh, 
I'm trying, trying to think of how to describe it, but intimate. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, it makes it like more intimate. Like you, like you feel it more. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think that there's something interesting to the fact that, that you know, I love Superman, but, uh, and, and I don't subscribe to this, that I think Superman can still be interesting, despite how superpowered he is, but I think that there's just something interesting to the fact that Captain America, like, like if you really think about it, his power is that, like, he can run a three-minute mile, right? <laughs> and that he can lift, he can lift a motorcycle over his head, and, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. Like, and I just think that it, that it, it, it it makes it more interesting to me when batch rock attacks or something like that, or red skull no. attacks. Right. Because it, it, it does give more of a sense that like they're getting by on the skin of their teeth. Right. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. But I, I like, I, no, no, I just wanted to add, no, I agree with you, but also to me, I loved how Marvel would introduce their space stories for some reason or another. I was definitely more compelled or more, it felt more interesting, like with Galactus. Or even um, the the Skull Cree War is it it's something about how when they did like I was more interested in their space characters than other. Okay. Not to say that I didn't like Green Lantern, but Green Lantern was a sh- I would argue to say was a shift after Marvel really pushed it. And not mm-hmm. to say the Fourth World comics with um, Thanos and I'm said Thanos, well Dark Side and um, High Father were interesting, but it was more enclosed in that little sector but for marvel it would reach when marvel would reach out into their space adventures it would be i don't know it seemed more compelling or more interesting in, in regard of what was going on even though you didn't really know what they were doing does that make sense okay like i loved when they introduced anything concerning fantastic four because it was never it was rarely ever at home for a large part this it's cool that you're bringing this up because for me growing up uh, like I'm getting into this stuff now for the first okay. time, right? Like when I, when I was a kid collecting Marvel masterpieces, trading cards and stuff like that and everything, I had zero tolerance for the cosmic stuff. None. I hated all of it. I'm like, this isn't the X-Men. This isn't Spider-Man. I don't care. And even X-Men, like when X-Men would do Shi'ar, I would like, I would hate it. Right. But now really, I think it's because of Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie, like it, it's kind of. I've gotten into how like big and how rich and um, how sprawling all the cosmic stuff is, right? Like Galactus is the one character I want to see most in the MCU now, right? Like that's how big of a change it's become for me. Um, and I'll shut up. I'll let somebody else jump in, but I've been going back and forth all week about like who has the bigger cosmic um, cast of characters who has the biggest cosmic world is it DC or is it Marvel because I can kind of make the argument of both um, but I would ultimately say I think Marvel does do it better I think Marvel I mean I think I mean it depends on the, the era because I still think that Marvel does Marvel does present day space stuff pretty well like I think you know I think the idea that you know I think it's issue was it two or three of Fantastic Four has the, is the introduction of the Skrulls you know, it's right off okay. the bat, right off the bat, you get the scrolls and then, you know, they're a recurring threat for, you know, decades as, yeah. as, as, a, as yeah. a, you know, an alien race. But I think it's one of those things where I think Marvel is a, is a, is a problem, you know, having it be a, a villain or something like Thanos or Ronan the Accuser or Terex or even the, you could argue even the Silver Surfer early on 
because you don't really know whether you know if he's going to stick with Galactus or not in that story. Spoiler, he doesn't. <laughs> um, but I, I think that for their cosmic heroes, like Captain Marvel, you know, the original Captain Marvel, you know, Marvel, I think they do a good job with with exploring that kind of stuff early on. And like Tommy was saying, I mean, DC when they had that when they were introduced, you know, all the stuff in Showcase and started rolling out those characters. I mean, yeah, Superman's an alien and the Martian Manor is an alien and Green Lantern, but there's not really, it's not quite the same, I don't think. Yeah, you know, it I felt don't, more Earthbound, right? Well, it feels more, I think there's more, I think it's more of a, especially if you read those, you know, old um, Silver Surfers, the, the Buscema stuff with, uh, it should be, I think it's it's either Stan or Roy Thomas, I can't remember who wrote those, but I pretty much mm-hmm. Stan. But, um, you know, when, when the Silver Surfer is making his soliloquy and you can tell that, that he's in, they're much more human aliens, if that makes sense. Like they right. have the same, there's a same emotional through line that goes through their stories that it does the same thing through all of our other Marvel heroes. Okay. Right? Yeah. My, my feeling for the space stuff for Marvel is that like the, the characters, like, like I keep seeing, they, they get used, right? There's not a lot of these cosmic characters that get put on the shelf for too long. Right. Mm-hmm. And Tommy, you brought up Green Lantern, which I'll pull out for a second. Right. Because Green Lantern is a big sprawling space epic. And so in that in that sense, that's one of the things where I think DC has a bigger space. Uh, um, like theater, I'll say, right, uh-huh. where he's going to so many different planets and everything. But the thing that I think makes it feel smaller also is that like you see very few of that stuff, very little of that stuff comes back ever. Right. And DC space stories i feel like every time i'm there i'm getting kind of like reintroduced to something right like what's the like what's the version of the new gods in this right or Mm. what's the version um uh i'm trying to even think of some of the other ones right like uh like uh atrocitus or something like that right you know what i mean we're like they're all every time we see them they're a little bit different you know Mm -hmm. Does yeah. that make sense? Whereas like in Marvel, like, like, no, like Silver Surfer is very much like th- there's a consistency of, of that character for 40 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know what the Kree are, you know what the Skrull are, and they will yeah. always be that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I just, well, I just love, well, I guess me mainly because I had a love for um Jim Starlin mm-hmm. and a lot of this stuff that he did was space stories. Or space, or I think mean, he's one that gave us the Infinity Gauntlet and pushing Thanos to the forefront. At least that's what I recall. Right. That's what I have a personal love for it. And Adam Warlock. Yeah, definitely Adam Warlock. I wish they would expand upon a lot of his work and stuff. And I mean, and and what's funny is that my favorite um, space stories in DC were creations of his own as well. So, sure. but I would say the bulk of his work was lent to Marvel or showcased in that arena during the seventies in which he like just developed it in such a way that made it seem more um epic i guess mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of um larger than life characters that he introduced during that time yeah if you if you like any of the the MCU stuff and the Thanos and all that stuff you you, you owe a debt to Jim Starlin for yeah. sure yeah no i the infinity gauntlet is one of my absolute favorite things about marvel yeah like like um I I don't mean the story. I mean I like the story, but I'm talking about like like the object, like the creation of the object. I just think that it's so neat that Marvel has this, uh, um, you know, all powerful weapon 
cosmic MacGuffin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That that and, and I like I like the stones. I like the idea of the stones that that in there there's uh there right, there's a MacGuffin, there there there's there's a, a weapon with a threat, there's like a mythology like Dawn of Reality uh like world building like tied into it. And DC, I think, has a lot of possible weapons that can be used. I think I think that they have potential for a lot more that don't get touched, but they don't have an infinity gauntlet, right? They have the right. anti-life equation, which I will admit I think sounds cooler, <laughs> but it's also like, what is it? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, sure. like, it's not a thing, it's not a thing that can be wielded like like <laughs> no. the infinity gauntlet can, right? Like it's an idea. As long as Dark Side doesn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about I mean, in general, I think about that too. It's kind of like you know marvel's got you know the eye of agamotto it's got <laughs> the ultimate nullifier it's got uh what's some other good marvel cosmic stu- uh the cosmic cube cosmic cube or, yep. i mean that, i mean a lot of that stuff is just you know it's just really cool like you said i mean it, don't get me wrong infinity gauntlet's awesome i think it's a cool it's a cool you know cosmic MacGuffin or whatever but there's a lot of that kind of stuff that that you know marvel has i mean i guess dc has some of it but it's not nearly as you know and it's not it's, it's one of those things where when I think when you, when you started when I started thinking about those kind of things, um, if you've ever read JLA Avengers. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm right, going to bring that up. Yeah. Right. Tommy, there's that whole yeah. bit where they're like recounting like the evil eye and, yeah. you know, all those various things, you know, between the two two universes. But to me, it's Marvel. You know, Marvel's got more. Yeah, more on cosmic artifacts than DC. But mm-hmm. uh, what's funny is in that book, DC has a slew of holy artifacts that they blend in like. um what was it? The um, yeah. Excuse me for my uh, biblical terms. I'm trying to think. It was the staff, the staff. Oh, no, the, the spear, spear, spear destiny. Yeah, spear yeah. destiny. Uh, DC yeah. leans more towards uh, holy artifacts as opposed to cosmic ones, like Marvel does. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, and I think DC has things, things sitting there that can be used, right? Like, like yeah. the Medusa mask and stuff like that, and yeah, and the helmet of fate and all that, all that stuff that that exactly. I don't think gets quite used as much here and there you know the movies have have seemed to make like the mother boxes kind of like like their i guess sort of version of the infinity gauntlet like like as insofar that it's something to be afraid of mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah or something that wields great power over something else or even like uh, yeah um dc mostly has um areas that are kind of sacred like the um source wall things of that nature as yeah. marvel has just uh, great things of power like the ultimate nullifier things of that nature mm-hmm. that it, it goes well beyond explanation but if even a mere mortal so to speak will this they become godlike in their um yeah a lot of godlike artifacts in marvel in which the simple person can be made to control vast amount of stuff or anything basically yeah if wielded like korvac there's like a whole story around that basically right where korvac is is just just a guy Mm -hmm. right that's that's bestowed like you know incredible godlike powers and yeah i mean i think yeah that's really interesting yeah i mean i guess i'm not thinking about it as much when i was preparing it but really yeah it they marvel is like every man at every level like even in the cosmic side of things like Star Lord, Star Lord is just like a guy in space. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. So no, so I've 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 made a complete one eighty on the cosmic stuff. Like I, you know, I'm <laughs> way into it now. But yeah, no, I, when I was when I was eleven, 
It was just one of those Gambit cards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of the one of the Gambit and Wolverine holograms. Give me a hologram. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so what else is out there, though? I mean, what else does does the universe do do really well that hooks us in time in and time out? Superpowers. Let's just say the casual thing of mutants. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I I feel like everybody else has to have a backstory, but Marvel would just out of nowhere give somebody powers, and depending on their powers, they'll have the imagination to stretch it. Like, for example, who would have thought a dude that can heal any cut? would be interesting but yet you get these guys blades in between their knuckles and he's probably the arguably the most famous person in um all of comics you know mm-hmm. just right. just a little push in a certain direction and the the person i mean superman has had um um heat vision for a long time but you give a guy heat vision that never turns off you know yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's a He's a character that you'd want to mimic or even um, enjoy to see how he uses those powers, you know? <laughs> sure, I guess. I don't know how yeah. many people enjoy Cyclops, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, but, but for, I, I don't think that not to push anything towards DC, but they have their meta, but it's just not the same interest like mutants, you know? No, it's not as elegant. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it's it's. You know, I mean, X-Men has the like next step in in human evolution. That's just like it sums it all up in a sentence. There it is. Yeah. OK, you know, and they're sworn to protect the humans who fear and hate them. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's also like uh, it, it's very healthy for writers, I think, because you could always create new characters and you don't have to necessarily explain like like a huge uh you know, scientific accident or genetic experiment to give them their powers. It's just like, no, they're just one of these. They have the X gene. There you go. Yeah. That's it. And now yeah. they can turn into a puddle or whatever it is, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to have them do. Yeah. It's also cool. The idea of, you know, the metaphor of like, you know, you go through the change of life of, you know, puberty. It's like, holy crap. I don't understand why my body does this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, there's, I mean, then, then there's the further metaphor with X-Men, of course, of the fact that, you know, whether, whether you've ever felt, alone and, and misunderstood or you know whatever you know part of a, a group that that's not accepted you're you know this is this is a this is the comic for you right yeah. you know and it works for you know lots of people have, have you know said that you know I, I totally understand the x-men's point of view of i'm, I'm living in a world of people that don't want me or i'm not you know they'll shun me and then you know they're banded together and they make it work as a group of people you know for the better good yeah another another group too that just like you know, begs for soap opera storytelling also. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, it's basically <laughs> yeah. it's basically the real world. They're all living in a house, <laughs> and, you know, and some of them will get along. It's like when I when I so I was getting into Marvel like in during 90s X-Men and everything. That was one of the things I liked about it was 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 the idea of like Cyclops and Wolverine don't like each other. Like mm-hmm. like and, and like what's the deal with that? Like, why is that a thing? Right. Because also like that wasn't a thing in D.C for a long time like you know when you like the way that you you took those characters in like everybody got along generally but no one fought over a girl you know yeah at least not the stuff that you encounter when you're young i mean it's a little older when you get to like dark knight returns and stuff like that and then batman and superman are fighting and blah 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 right but like but for dc so much of it is like super friends yeah you know like growing up 
at least yeah. at that time for me. And like Marvel, right. like just the idea that like that like Cyclops is the leader and this other guy on the on the hairy guy over on the side doesn't like him, <laughs> and they're like and they're fighting over a girl, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know. I just think that that's interesting. Well, I love how yeah, I love how Marvel was. Even though you got powers, your problems didn't go away, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. It was DC. Like when you had powers, the world was handed to you. Uh, okay. Not that I shouldn't say like I didn't dislike about DC, but it just kind of bred another perspective of which wasn't clearly mined until later on, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. But yeah, just because I mean, just because you made a suit of armor, you know, doesn't mean you solved your drinking problem, you know? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think I think with with DC, I think we talked about it with the DC episodes. The idea that you know, it, as soon as you got powers, it's like, well, what do I do? The first thing I do is I put on a costume and start fighting crime. That's that's what you do if you get powers of DC, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, especially in the Silver Age, there's no questioning. Well, I've got to use these powers for good. Yeah. I mean, think about Spider Man. What is his first thought? I'm going to use this to pay rent. To pay yep. rent, yeah, or make money, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I'm going to go I make mean, some money. <laughs> I'm going to go make money with this. I'm going to yeah. join the wrestling circuit. and I'm going to be a superstar. Yeah. You know, or or you know, with like the Fantastic Four, it wasn't so much. You know, I mean. They wanted to steal a rocket because Reed saw that there was a problem and they get their powers reactive and then they're kind of like, I don't know what we do with this. You know, there's not, <laughs> yeah. there's not that immediate moment of, I got to go stop people from doing bad stuff. Nah, it was a choice. Or, or better yet, you know, with the Hulk, it, not of what was good, you know? Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they don't really, DC at first doesn't really, I mean, if you look at your, you know, your, your Barry Allen Flash, Hal Jordan, Ray Palmer, Carter Hall, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman were pretty much the same. Yeah, you know, they were being produced all the way through the World War II, so they were still around. But anybody that wasn't, that was reborn, you know, the characters were redone for the Silver Age. That was pretty much it. They, you know, legit superhero was the way to go. And there's not really anybody in that first wave that's really kind of monstrous. They don't really get to that until you get to like your metamorphos or what's another good one? You know, somebody that's kind of like, oh, my powers are a curse. Swamp yeah. thing. Swamp, swamp thing. thing. Yeah, your yeah. swamp things. Yeah, stuff like that. But right out of the shoot, you know, you got the Hulk, where obviously, yeah. you know, Bruce Banner's life will never be the same because of what that, you know, what happens to him. And there's Ben Grimm, right? Yep. Yeah. You know, everyone else in the Fantastic Four doesn't really, you know, doesn't lose their humanity, quote unquote, or their looks, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Ben from the jump is like, I'm a monster. <laughs> like, right. what did you do to me? What did you do to me? Yeah. You know, so, I don't I want- mean- Let's chase this avenue down really quick, though. So, I mean, how much of that do you think was intentional that like that this is a more interesting type of story when they were sort of like creating the Marvel Universe, like, you know, 61, 62, all of that stuff or anything? Because I've heard things out there that it's like Marvel was making monster comics essentially right before this. Right. Exactly. And 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 basically the thing from what I've heard again, you know, I don't know how true this stuff is. But the thing was essentially um, an attempt to try the superhero thing, but at the same time, not stray very far from what they were doing all along also. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and when I was going back and looking at this, like, like I always, I always thought that Spider-Man was the second hero created in this and it's not, it's the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Hulk is very much also like, like that, like you were saying, like he, he's, he's a monster. You right. know, yeah, like yeah. that's easily a monster comic more than a superhero book. So, right. And looking at Fantastic Four number one, like there's no, they're not in suits on that cover. No, right. No. They don't get uniforms till like issue three. 
like that cover is not a superhero comic cover. It's a monster comic cover. It's a giant monster coming out of the ground. Right. With like other yeah. <laughs> types of monsters fighting it. Yeah. Like yeah. being in the torch. And so, I mean, I think it was kind of them uh, taking what they were used to working with and what they like to work with and then kind of transitioning it. And then it transitioned fully into superhero. Yeah. Once it got going. It's a cool anecdote about the whole thing that yeah. like that completely works into their favor. Yeah. No, who would have thought, you know, being part spider would be interesting or even not creepy, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd argue to say that a lot of the ideas came from monster thoughts or yeah, from the early beginnings. Yeah, most definitely. No, I just think um I think it opens the door for a lot of cool different avenues. Cause like, you know, I, I feel like we're poo-pooing on DC a lot here and we're not. Like we love DC, but but like DC is kind of like aspirational almost, right? We're like everybody in that silver age, like you were saying, Frank, like they all have jobs. They all have good jobs. Yeah. And they're all kind of yeah. like perfect humans, right? Yeah. Everyone's yeah. doing well. Yeah. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's worrying about rent or, I mean, they, again, <laughs> they've got the same, I mean, and I, and I keep coming back to that, but I mean, I think it's an essential thing that, you know, when I, when I think about Peter Parker, you know, those early, you know, it's like they're, you know, he and Aunt May are like a, a, a week or two away from being kicked out of their place. It seems like, right? Right. Yeah. You know, it feels like, yeah. It's what it feels like. They create the tension of like, no, this is, you know, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how to rent. I don't have to pay for stuff. You know, no, you know, I don't, nobody likes me at school. <laughs> the guy that I've, <laughs> I've managed to con into basically giving me photos of myself, you know, yeah. doesn't like, doesn't like me or Spider-Man. You know, I can't get a girl, you know, that's all that stuff that's in, in, in Peter Parker. But I think it's one of those things where, you know, like the contract, like you said, the contrast to DC is, you know, Barry's got a job. He's a, he's a police scientist, he's a forensic scientist, house mm-hmm. pilot. You know, Ray Palmer's a scientist. Uh, Carter Hall runs what is he? He's a nice archaeologist now. That's the golden age. He's he's a museum creator. Right. Yeah. Curator, at that point. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Making yeah, every, fat money, I'm sure. He's <laughs> a curator. Good. <laughs> he's Ross Geller. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a paleontologist. But anyway, yeah. I mean, he's every, like you said, everyone's well, you know, well off. Everyone's doing fine. You know, Bruce Wayne obviously is, you know, billionaire yeah you know and then clark's a reporter so everyone does you know has a good job nobody's worrying about the kind yeah. of stuff that how's again, a test I, pilot everybody has an exciting job true well for the most you part yeah. yeah but i think it i think it does get back to what clifton was saying earlier the idea that you know when those stories you know are are are, are and, and again this is not compression of story but the idea that you know the stories felt more you know you had much more of an insight than what it was like for the person the, the character internally as well as the fact that the stories felt more relationship based, but at the same time had the elements of being, you know, what Tommy was saying were fantastical. They were still super powered stuff, no pun intended, but there was still superhero stuff going on. But at the same time, a lot of what drove the tension and the drama was, you know, rom- you know, the, the, the romantic question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I just think it's one of those things that again, you know, DC didn't really have a lot of the same kind of stuff. No, no I'll just see that's a different type of storytelling. Uh, yeah. and, and- Marvel, being that they were the new kids on the block, I felt they they gave more chances for a different type of storytelling that wasn't traditionally being offered. But one thing I will say about Marvel too, that's a little changing from the characters and what they created is, uh, the 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 amount of creators that came out of Marvel, especially during the '90s, was huge. I've never seen that, or I don't think we ever will see that type of birth of creators that came out of there. I mean, look what. Look how they branched into a whole new um, publishing with Image and the amount of people that came out of Marvel 
I think Marvel mm-hmm. was always the place to spark new ideas and change that uh were embraced by the uh by the uh you know the fans, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that kind of dovetails into into another thing that I was thinking about too. When I think of seminal runs yes. in comics, a lot of times it's a Marvel book. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, like I'm when I'm saying, like, I mean, my goodness, like, you know, Stan Lee and, and Jack, uh, Jack Kirby on Fantastic Four, which uh-huh. that was the record for like longest uninterrupted run by two creators for, for, you know, until like who broke it? Was it, was it Bendis and Mark Bagley on Ultimate Spider Man? Was that right? Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that, that was, and I, I, we would have to look up how many issues I can't remember. I think it was like, I think Fantastic Four was like a hundred and, 104 issues or something, right? Is that Which longer one? than um Burn and Claremont with Eggman's yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, because because Burn wasn't on wasn't steady on X Men for no, that whole wasn't. time, right? Like right. he he came on and off, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's not. I mean, Claremont was on X Men for seventeen years. Mm-hmm. And people right. forget right. people get Walter Simonson's stint on Thor. That's right. a legendary long run. Yeah. Or even Burn on Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. That was a long run. I mean, Marvel definitely had i guess frank uh, miller's daredevil yeah mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. that's one that still gets talked about for sure yeah. but yeah. yeah the stan lee and jack kirby run was yeah. fantastic four number one through 102 okay, okay. Wow. 102. including fantastic four annual one through six wow wow okay but I, I do think it's interesting with something you said tommy that that you know we need to focus on was the idea that a lot of times at marvel when guys would leave Marvel, like whether it was to form Image or just left Marvel to do something else, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of talk of, well, what are they going to do at DC, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when Kirby left, what does Kirby do? Kirby goes to DC. What does he do? He creates, you know, fourth the world. Enti- yeah, and creates the entire fourth world, mm-hmm. right? You know, and Commandy and OMAC and creates all that stuff and the stuff that, you know, for a long time, nobody really did anything with. And then, you know, you get like the Great Darkness Saga and some other stuff. And then like 90s and, and early 2000s, DC mines all that stuff for like Superman, the animated series. Yeah. And for, for um, what's another, what's the, uh, what's the event I'm thinking of at DC that had, had um, the Omax and had, you know, like basically like around, I would say the, you know, there was all that stuff after that where like Darkseid in, is, is in crisis and there's various events where they start to use those characters. But. I think the same thing happens in the eighties when Byrne comes over to do Man of Steel and Frank Miller comes over and does, you know, year one, George Perez revamped Wonder Woman. I think I mean I'm trying to think about it. I'm trying to think, is it there's not really a time where someone's like at DC and like Marvel's like, Oh, I can't wait to poach this person. Okay. No, it it, it feels like they're going I see what you're saying. They it feels like they've made their summer run for Marvel and then they go to DC. Yes. Like for, yeah. for in the current example that is Bendis was a Marvel guy for how long? Like for, you know, you know, Decades. Bendis was independent. Yeah. He, you know, he had, he had AKA goldfish and he had Jinx. 18, 18 years or so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was a <laughs> yes. really long time. Yes. Yeah. You know, had new Avengers, had ultimate Spider-Man, you know, did you know all that stuff. And then it was like, can't wait to see what Bendis is going to do with DC. Yeah. You know, no, for super- sure. Ben- Bendis felt very, that felt big. Him yeah. jumping, uh, jumping yeah. over. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree completely. And, and, and I, I just see like ads of like what it was like when Kirby jumped over. Cause I wasn't, right. I wasn't alive for that, but it was, that was huge. Like he's coming. Yes. The King of comics is coming to DC. Yeah. Yeah. But what a question did the Frank Miller's dead of run precede his, um, 
um, DC run. Yeah. 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 So that happened with Frank Miller as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So you got year one and then you got Dark Knight out of him coming to DC. DC. Yeah. And yeah. Then, Alan Moore a little bit because he started at Marvel UK. True. Yeah. He started yeah. the like 2000 AD and then Marvel UK and then Warrior and then DC. Yeah. I mean, I well, will. I mean, one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about in the DC episode stuff was the fact that, you know, for a while there, speaking of Marvel UK and that kind of stuff, DC was really good about getting Europe, you know, like guys from Britain and Grant Morrison to write for DC, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they definitely contributed to the, to, the, the, to the beginnings of Vertigo and Swamp Thing and all that stuff. No game. And artists too, because yeah. that's yeah. where they got uh, uh, Gibbons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Was Brian Bolland? He's British, right? Yeah, he's yeah, he from yeah. 2000 yeah. AD from yeah, British. So they were good at scouting that talent, right? Oh, yeah. They were really good about getting those guys. But but what I'm you know getting back to my point was when I think about you know guys basically doing similar runs at Marvel, they would do that, and then all of a sudden they'd be like, okay, I'm gonna go across the street now and work at DC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes again, like I said with Kirby, it, you know, you add to the you know it's a rich history of DC that you know and they they. They definitely benefited from, and not that they didn't benefit from Byrne or from Frank Miller or, you know. But again, it's one of those things where, like, some of those guys, like, for example, like, McFarlane was on Infinity Inc. before he did, you know, Spawn, obviously, or before he was on Spider-Man or on Amazing Spider-Man, so. And mm-hmm. Liefeld was, like, Hawk and Dove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right before, right. I forgot about Before that. X-Force. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, and I think I think going in that direction too. I think um, Jason Aaron was one of those too, like more recently, right? Like mm-hmm. he was on Scalped at DC, right. which was getting critical acclaim and all that stuff. And it was, you know, it was a big book and everything. But I've always been been perplexed as to how Jason Aaron got away from DC without doing a Batman run. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. You had a guy who who was doing a a critically acclaimed crime book. Yeah, and somehow. You know, they, they, I, I think he did a one shot, I want to say, like, like Possibly. during like Joker's last laugh or something like that. He did like a penguin book or something like that, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of tough to track down, but he goes to Marvel and what happens there? Like, you know, he, he's like, Thor. he does a seminal run on Thor, yeah. right? Yeah, like, which- like, like, like the greatest run on Thor since Simonson, basically. And that this stuff is going to start to be like, like tapped for like Thor four and everything. It's like he. You know, I do I do think that sometimes that they they tend to kind of give a, a creator a chance to do something big. When Morrison jumps over, he gets X-Men like right off the bat, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, but generally I think it does go the other way. I think it is, it's generally Marvel to DC as opposed to the other way around. I mean, yeah. granted, Morrison's a good example because it's one of the things where, you know, Morrison definitely cut his teeth with Animal Man and Doom Patrol long before he, you know, he did other independent stuff or British stuff or European stuff. but. When he got to DC, that was when he did, you know, those early books and then eventually went to Marvel. But, you know, yeah. to me, Morrison's always going to be a DC guy. So. No, I agree. I, th- I think Morrison's the exception to that rule. I think mm-hmm. I, th- I think he's, he's DC guy that went to Marvel and then like it, it, it didn't work out for whatever reason and then went back. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, but Marvel's had a lot of um, the new beginners or the new creators on the block. But at one point, again, sorry to readdress the 90s. They're um, artists. Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> X Men being still the the most the highest selling comic book of all time with Jim yep. Lee. Yep. Jeez, I, I, I mean, uh, look how many the 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 number of people that came during that time frame that that were just 
great artist that I guess what uh, charged new life in the comics that no one ever seen before. Who would have thought that you know certain people's manga style or sensationalism or splash pages we re- 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 reinvigorate comics in that way, shape, and form, and just have the plethora just start from Marvel. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, they it, they felt in the '90s they felt younger. It did most did. definitely right because I, yeah. I outside of outside of the Flash, like we've said, like Flash is kind of the one DC book in the '90s that I that I remember hearing buzz about, and there was really nothing else. Like you know, and of course, Batman. I'll say too because I actually think '90s Batman is really great. Yeah, but but there's not a whole lot. I mean, there's moments DC has moments here and there, but like I feel like consistently almost that the 90s was like marvel's decade yeah almost wholly and solely damn near you know to their detriment because they ended up filing for bankruptcy but <laughs> yeah very true <laughs> very true if well, i got bigger than their britches for that brief period of time though but yeah but no i i can't think of a time in which people weren't looking to see what marvel was creating new right. i mean just look how many franchises they're eating off of from that just period of time from X-Men with his or X-Force. Yeah. X-Factor was huge during that time. I mean, any, everything mutant related was big, even for the ones that people didn't want to read. Yeah. And their characters evolved too. That, that was, that was the interesting part for me looking back at that too. Right. Yeah. Is that, is that their characters were in a different spot uh, in that period than when you go back and read sort of the stuff from the eighties or the stuff from the seventies, you know, I forget. I forget who brought it up. I said uh, Clifton. It might have been you, but you were saying like Gwen Stacy died, you know, and, right. and, yes, and for a moments. while, and like that was a that was a meaningful death that meant something and would still come up, and she stayed dead for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, Bucky did too, for that matter. Yeah, oh, did, yeah. Think how long Bucky was dead. Bucky was dead for you know, but it was kind of like the like trifecta. Seventy years. Yeah, the the trifecta yes. for a long time was Uncle Ben, <laughs> Bucky. And Gwen Stacy were the ones that could never come back. Right. <laughs> yeah. And they have since, I believe, all come yep. back at some point or another. Has Ben come back? He's Uncle, Uncle Ben? Uh, I believe there's stories, either it's like Spider-Verse stories where he shows right. up as being like, you know, uh, like, you know, either like a dream sequence type thing yeah. or he shows up as an, you know, an alternate version or whatever. But I thought, I, I could be wrong. Uh, you know, I thought that Uncle Ben had come back as well at some point too. Yeah. Yeah. What was the term? Dead like Bucky dead or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. a long time. Until Brubaker brought him back for Cap, so that's another person, Brubaker. <laughs> yeah. Another yeah. great one. He was on it yeah. for like eight years. Eight yeah. years, man. That yeah. went, uh, Winter Soldier. Jeez. Yeah, great. I don't stuff. think anybody argued his return when you when he brought him back in that fashion. You know, right? Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I remember hearing a story where he was talking about jumping over the Marvel, like, because, like, I guess, like, he and Bendis are friends, and Bendis was trying to get him over there, and he was like, "All right, what is it going to take?" And he's like, "Well, the only thing I want to do if I go there is I want to do Captain America, and I want to bring Bucky back." And then he was like, "Ah," Bendis was like, "Okay, let me go make a call. Let me see," <laughs> you know, and then basically like called him back, and it was like they said, "Good, let's do it." <laughs> they said, "You're good." Wow. Sure. Wow. Yeah, because he said it was a story he always like, was waiting for that story to be told because he's it, when it was originally published, he, he's like, there, there is some shade of gray there, right? right? There's an out. And and he was always like, well, why haven't they brought Bucky back? And then supposedly like like the story that he heard is Stan Lee would say, like, we'll do it when the sales drop low enough. Yeah. You know, we'll bring it right. back as a stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Nah, Marvel knows how to mine old old characters and give life into them in a way that you couldn't imagine. They've done it to a number of people, I believe. Um, I'm trying to think the last one that, to me, they did did they did it with Jean Grey? Because I know they did it with X Men in a different way, but that's giant size X Men the way they re- they they like to go back and touch it in such a way that you don't think about it. Just the slight change to bring that character right back to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Or is that just the observation that I alone share? I mean, I mean, X Men at the time was you know before Giant Size was reprints from sixty six yeah. to ninety three or ninety four. Yeah, was all reprint stuff, and then they they're like, all right, well, we'll try this you know all new different. You know, You're talking size. issue sixty three to ninety four. Yeah, I believe not, so. Not years. Okay. No. No. no okay. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, issues. Let's clarify that. Yeah. Issues. I'm sorry. It, yeah. That they talk about that they, they you know they didn't really have you know X Men was just a reprint book at that point and then they yeah. finally decided with I believe you know with X Men ninety four and Giant Size X Men to bring in you know Storm and Nightcrawler and Colossus and Wolverine and you know, Cyclops who no one likes um, <laughs> back into yeah. back into the, I like him into, I like him I do I do like him too. I do too <laughs> I do too it's just, just being funny he's he's the easy one to kick he's the easy <laughs> one to pick on well yeah. you know you as I've the nineties cartoon. Again, you try being a fifteen-year-old field general in a war that you didn't start, right? <laughs> and see how see how much see how much laughs see see how much full of laughs you are at right. that point. But um, hey. yeah, no, I, I you know it's one of those things where they they you know they've decided that. But I, I agree with you know I agree with what you're coming at, Tommy, is the idea that you know Marvel can take a character that you know hasn't been around a while or an idea. Like again, I get back to the scrolls. The scrolls have been around for you know, almost the beginning of the Marvel universe, quote unquote, from 1960s or 61 mm-hmm. when the Fantastic Four premiered, you know, and they're still, you know, we just got <laughs> the scrolls on the big screen. You know, how recently was that? Like two years ago? A year ago. A, a year, year ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> One year right. ago. Yeah, you know, Captain Marvel. Ago. Yeah. A year ago. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, they love, you know, people that know that, you know, their Marvel history know stuff. It's like, oh yeah, the scrolls have been around. Yeah, the scrolls have been around for a long time. So, yeah. It's cool to see them get a little bit of, you know, polish and put back out there. So, well, I love that one old story of Fantastic Four where uh, I think it was a Reed that tricks scrolls into becoming cows. Yeah, that's in the very and, first appearance. Yeah, and they <laughs> virtually bring that back in order to mm-hmm. pull forth a war or the Skull Kill Crew and things scroll of that nature. Skull Kill Crew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Morrison yeah. and Miller. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that the whole town's being poisoned by that milk. Yes. Yeah. People are hideously mutating and they don't know why. And the don't reason why, why is because, spoiler, <laughs> they're, cows, they're, they're cows that are scrolls. So <laughs> I, I've never heard of this. Oh, you've oh, never heard yes. of this story? No, I've it's, never it's, heard of that. It's yes. a Fantasy Four annual by Byrne and during oh, Byrne's great. run. So yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then yeah. Scroll Krill Crew is, is a group of people that have the ability to see scrolls mm-hmm. uh, when they're in shape-shifted form like they can tell who the scrolls are because they ate hamburgers that were made out of those scrolls <laughs> so it's yes. basically like scroll mad cow yes huh yeah yeah oh yeah oh, wow yeah. okay god that sounds nutty but that's yeah, oh, cool is. though oh, yeah. it is yeah yeah so i mean it's you know it's a good bit but definitely a good bit you know, I, I agree that, you know, there's a lot. Of things. I mean, again, if you, I mean, getting back without spoiling anything for anyone who hasn't read it yet, if you've read anything of Jonathan Hickman's uh, Power of X or House of X. Yes, I was thinking that, that too. There's so much stuff that's callbacks to stuff that's come before in X-Men. Like it's, you know, there's so much like, you know, you know, stuff that's Easter egg, but Easter egg in a way that, you know, he's referring to stuff that's come before. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you know a character, what, what makes a character turn or, or what makes a character tick, you know, he's got that. And even like from a panel to panel, it's nothing really, you know, there's a great, you know, I remember when, when I read that issue and Namor's page. Remember, Tommy? Oh, yeah. And I called you and was like, <laughs> you, you me, have yeah. to read. If you, what about the Namor bit? The Namor yeah. bit's amazing. That's <laughs> amazing. It is. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice callback gr- to it. Yeah. It's an amazing bit for Namor if you, you know, if you've read Namor in any form over the last, you know, <laughs> 80 81 years of marvel yeah. stuff you know he's it's a great bit because it calls back to stuff that's happened before so mm-hmm. you know not that dc doesn't do that but i think i think you know i do agree with tommy there's a lot of times where marvel just takes something that's been you know that's been i guess good like i said a good way to take it is, is just taking it and polishing it up again and putting it back out there and be like here's a new take on it that we haven't seen before yeah yeah without tarnishing its history or even changing it in well, the slides. I think I think the the danger with DC sometimes is that when they do that, they're picking something that nobody's heard of a lot of in a lot of cases. And Marvel seems to when they do this, at least you've heard of Bucky, like right. you know what yeah. he is. It's not right. like there's no research or like he's he's Cap's partner that died in World War Two, right? So like you're aware of him already. There's not mm. a whole lot of right work that you have to do. But if DC is going to do like an Anthro series. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, yeah, Everybody sure. go Google Anthro right, right now. <laughs> right. Sure. Right. Well, no, I agree. I'm you and you'll like, get my point. <laughs> or like, or like, if you have Arian, a, and then it's not the A A R Y A N. It's the sorcerer from Atlantis. A R I O N. Arian. Yes. You would have to do a fair amount of research to figure out what the hell is this character. Right. But I mean, I think what what I what I think you know in a roundabout way when Tom and I are talking about the idea that that Marvel takes something from the the past and put it forward. What I do like about Marvel is, and, and while you know, while I'm a diehard God, I love Crisis on the Infinite Earths. Marvel doesn't reboot their universe. Yeah, lot. thank you. I was going to say Marvel no. does not enjoy the retcon as much as DC does. Marvel doesn't. I mean, they'll do it here and there. I mean, granted, I mean, you know, obviously Reed Spider-Man. Richards and Ben Grimm didn't fight World War II at this point. Yeah, and Tony Stark wasn't in Vietnam. Right, <laughs> right. He didn't yeah. get. He wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't in Indochina when he got shot down, and, and now no. that's where he built. Yeah. No, you know, we're not still fighting the red. The Reds. You know that's not our that's not our turn the turning thing for a lot of these books or you know we're not in a space race that's not why the FF are going into space <laughs> yeah you know but they what I think and, and it's one of the things where it's interesting that I think again getting back to Hickman Jonathan Hickman the idea that um the first time we got a real kind of crisis event was when they redid Secret Wars recently right yeah which I love when, well I love it too when you say Tommy that's like the closest thing to like I remember again I was sitting sitting in a parking lot waiting on my wife to do something and I called you I said have you read this yet. I said, he's doing Crisis on Infinite Earths at Marvel. That's exactly yeah, what it is. Exactly what it was. Because it was, you know, there's all these different, you know, characters from different universes and they're going to have this, this, this patchwork, you know, patchwork Earth or planet again, mm-hmm. and like they had in Secret Wars. And then, you know, in the end, it's going to re, you know, basically be a restart for all this stuff. But, you know, and I started thinking about it. I'm like, Marvel just doesn't do that a lot. They don't no. really have that thing. And what, what, I, what I thought was interesting was that Hickman himself at one point describes the fact that Memory past eight years gets fuzzy. Like he says, right. you, you basically have trouble past thinking back eight years in your own history, much less anything else. So that's how it works for, he's like, in his own mind, that's how it works for Marvel. The idea that eight years is about the, about the point of like, well, past that, it's all fuzzy. Did Reed Richards <laughs> fight in World War II or did he fight in Vietnam? We don't really remember all that. Ah, uh, right. Then that's why Frank and Richards is always going to be a kid because really eight years past that, we don't remember. Like, we don't remember when Franklin was born. Was he born in the 60s? Was he born in the 70s? Was it 82, 83? No, nah, that was eight years past. Yeah, so it's kind of his <laughs> thought process on, 
on on most stuff was the idea of like yeah eight years passes we don't really think about it mm-hmm. and i think, I think tw- also i th- i think the start of the marvel universe has is kind of a a factor in that though to me right because dc for the most part was books right there was a batman book there were superman books there was wonder woman and all these other characters right and then and like none of them touched like none of them converged to each other until like uh what's, what, what's, what's the first of justice league appearance help me out brave and the brave bold, bold 28 you're right okay so a lot of those books are kind of like in their own lane right for the but most part when i was looking at it like fantastic four comes out in 61 november right. 61 mm-hmm. right yep and by march of 63 this mm-hmm. th- this is an important month for marvel i think march of 63 you have spider-man number one which guest stars the fantastic four yep you have that same month the fantastic four meets the hulk in their yeah. issue it's like mm-hmm. 13 i think what uh, issue is that what issue is it Do you remember what issue is that uh i want to say i want to say 11 mm-hmm. yeah, i can't remember 11. i didn't i didn't jot down the issue number in my notes i should have but that mm. month is sort of i mean and there were others right like namors and in, in fantastic four before that like like it's 62 yeah. and and stuff like that but like they have from 61 Fantastic Four coming out. They've they've created the Hulk. They've created Spider-Man. They've created Thor. Right. And then by March of 63, they're playing with getting all of those guys together. And then by September of 63, you get Avengers number one. Right. Zach, yeah. we were you all know? around it. It's issue 12. Was it? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we were just we were one over and one under. So okay. You would have gotten it because you didn't go over. So. Ah. Price is right rules. That's Woo. right. Price is right rules. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, but no, I just think I think so. Like Marvel seems to be intended to be a universe, like right from, like right I don't want to say start. right from the get go, but very early. Mm-hmm. I, right. Man, well, no, I I, I kind of sort of agree with you and disagree with you. I, I felt it was more so like um, guest appearances to make to make a like you know celebrity guest star that type of felt. That's what I felt what Marvel's doing. Absolutely. But but, I but, didn't, but but okay. we're saying that that these guys can now meet each other. Oh no no, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. It's just it it, it felt it wasn't. See, well, what was it that I didn't really? I, I always thought that was the case till something like Acts of Vengeance occurred mm-hmm. with the Marvel crossover, in which you had certain villains who never fought other heroes, <laughs> and it was it was almost like it blew my mind because I didn't think certain people fought other people up until that point. Like, you know, Magneto never fought the Fantastic Four, you know, or or Dr. Doom never messed with the X-Men, that type of thing. You know, it was... But he is in Spider-Man, though. No, I know. Dr. Doom is in Spider... in like, is that Spider-Man 5? Yeah. Yeah. No, but no, I agree. I'm not... I'm not... Please, I'm not disagreeing (laughs) with you at all. I just felt that they were... It wasn't until that crossover I look back and it was guest star. Does that make sense? It was sure. up until that point, I was wholeheartedly thought, oh, wow, this is one big world, one big universe. You know, you can run into anybody in this universe. I mean, one is the fact that since they're all in New York, you would think they would trip over each other every moment. Yes. <laughs> and then, and yeah. then, but I mean, it's one of those things where I think about it when I, when I, when I remember Act of Vengeance and the same thing to me where I was like, oh my God, they're going to mix it up and they're going to purposely choose to take on other, you know, other heroes than they normally do. Yes. And, and, and you can, you know, and again, you know, I thinking back, like, for example, Ultron was at, was at, is in Fantastic Four when it's, when uh, Quicksilver and, and Crystal get married, right? Ultron's yes, the villain yes, for that yes, part. Yes, 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 the annual, yes. So that's what, you know, but yeah, and you had moments where they teamed up or like a supervillain team up, they would team up. But I think, I think back to like the early nineties, there's a Red Skull story with the X-Men. I'm like, why is this the first time that a guy that's a white supremacist 
is just now mixing it up with somebody. <laughs> yes, yes. Why is he just now like being a, a threat to to a group that obviously he would think would be probably inferior? Right. You know. I yes. mean, that's that to me blew my mind. And then I think it's even a joke in, in, in New Avengers where like it becomes a thing where it's almost like a shorthand because Electro busts out of the raft and, and the New Avengers are coming together for the first time and Spider-Man's like, oh yeah, he's one of mine. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. well, I'm like, well, clearly Electro was, you know, I'm like, I know for a fact he was part of like, he was part of some villains group, like the Masters of Evil or one of those type groups at some point fought the Avengers. So is he really one of yours or is just like one of yours that recurs? <laughs> because- yeah. You know, surely I think, you know, Daredevil's fought him. I'm like, you yeah. know, there's other people. Granted, I've, he didn't go the, I've always the Fantastic theorized Four, that's but... why Doom is in Spider-Man early on. I've always mm. theorized that they were trying to make Doom into into like a a like universal bad guy. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that's always been my thing. But I mean, kind of going off of what you guys are saying, like one of my favorite things about it too was was when you get like fluctuating teams. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and I, I, I know that um, X-Men versus Avengers is, is sort of like a d- divisive stunt. But what I thought what came out of that when you got Uncanny Avengers, that was sort of like this patchwork team of like, we're kind of uh, some, we're made up of some former X-Men and we're made up of some former v- Avengers and some are humans and some are mutants. And it just like the out coming out of that stunt for them to go ahead and and kind of make a team like that i thought was really exciting and really cool mm-hmm. it kind of feels like an updated defenders a little bit it does which it was did. like yeah. a weird team back mm-hmm. in the what was it yeah. late 70s yeah it was I-, I felt the same way with you it's an interesting assortment of people some x-men some like avengers b-list right but another thing that i was thinking about when we talked about last week was the idea that you know while dc is really well does a really good job about um you know, letting villains take the lead. When I was thinking about it for Marvel, the contrast for me is that a lot of Marvel villains have really good, like almost sympathetic, not everybody, but a lot of them have sympathetic origin stories. Okay. Yeah. Like I think, you know, I mean, granted it's, it's more of a modern convention, the idea of Magneto being in the Holocaust and, you know, having to, having to be in like, you know, Dachau or Auschwitz or one of those type places. And that he basically was just fighting for the rights of his people and his people were oppressed because he was Jewish. Or the idea of like um, Doom. Like Doom to me is one of those where, you know, as, as much of an a-hole as Doom is, I love the idea that, you know, part of Doom shtick was, yeah, my mom's in hell and I'm going to fight the devil every year. Yeah, right. I love to, Triumph and to, Torment, yeah. Yeah, to try and say, to try and get her out of hell, yes. right? I mean, that, to me, that's one of the, like, the aspects of Doom's like, you know, when people talk about, yeah, Doom's a bad guy, I'm like, yeah, he is. But this, and then the other thing being like, yeah, he's a tyrant, but his people love him and, you know, it's all you know. I think Doom's such a complicated character, and he's supposed for supposedly just being a super villain, right? What version of Doom do you subscribe to? The the uh, disfigured face, or or the like the one scar, like the one tiny imperfection behind the mask? What do you? Oh what, no, I, I think he originally had. No, I think I've always assumed that like he, that when he's building like the 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 transdimensional doorway in the, their dorm room uh-huh. to, to to try and <laughs> to try and fight you know the devil, the devil. For his, for his mother's soul and it blows up, his face is disfigured. And then at that point he's like, F it. And when he goes to like the the the, the Tibetan monks to learn whatever he needs to learn, and then they scald yeah, he the mask yeah. <laughs> into his face, like take it out of the fire, and he's like, I don't care, and puts it on. That yeah, <laughs> yeah. then it's, then it's it doesn't matter after that scar. Yeah, at that I part it doesn't matter. To me, it doesn't matter if it was if his face was just blown off in the explosion or it was a tiny, tiny scar. 
because he goes in wholeheartedly, like he's all in at that point. Right. Yeah. I, so I, to me, it's always been a mess. It's a mangled mess of, you know, flesh underneath that iron mask. Okay. Now, having read Marvel Comics number one again in, in Villains, is that Namor was introduced as a villain initially. Yes. Yeah. And he's been antagonist at different times to Fantastic Four and then anti hero and hero, mm-hmm. but still more or less anti hero. But his, his motivation as a villain in that Marvel Comics number one way back in the day was that the humans had destroyed the kingdom that right. his that his people lived in mm-hmm. like they had dropped charges on it for the pretense of exploration but it blew up like right. the i don't know if it was atlantis at that time it was under antarctica in the right. comic and and namor's mother went up to infiltrate the humans to try to get them to stop and ends up having namor as a result meeting a good human but like that is the motivation for his villainy is is he's he's waiting revenge on on his people being wiped out yeah, it's humanity's the problem, not not Namor. Namor, they, you exactly right. He, it's like you did this to us. I, I I'm coming back to take care of business. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Namor's Namor's a complicated figure in Marvel history. It's one of the things where you know I'm 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 a big fan of Namor, and you know Namor. One of my favorite issues of Fantastic Four early on is the one where he and Doom team up. And oh they, yeah, the, yeah. And they tear the Baxter building off. They tear the Baxter building off its foundation. Yeah, you know. That one's a great one. And then again, another book that I they do love because I love a good villain book is the original, like the, from the seventies is the super villain team up where it's the two of them, every issue, you know, at odds, you know, basically taking swipes at each other while they're trying to get ever, whatever they're trying to do. Yeah. I like the idea that Namor, Namor to me is like black Adam at DC where like you can play him either way. Yeah. You know, yeah. At yeah. Point, you know, they both, you know, they've both been heroic. They've both been evil. They've both been, you know, sort of, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, you know, kind of, kind of characters. You know, and that they both have the pointy ears, which you know, that's just, that's just, <laughs> right. I don't know if that's a requirement for that kind of moral ambiguity. <laughs> no, no, no. I, well, one thing I wanted to add too is they also play; they do very well with the antihero, and mm-hmm. then the um, omnipotent villain. And I don't mean villain in a way that they're out to do evil. Right. In the case of Galactus, where yeah. Galactus simply is, he's not trying to, you know, rule the world or nothing. He must feed. Right. So for in that pretense, he's he's the villain or or in the other example I was given was the Punisher or mm-hmm. Deadpool in yeah. which it, basically they do villainous stuff, but you're compelled to enjoy their stories and not see them as a villain because of their agenda. Basically, yeah. Wolverine for the longest time, too. Yeah. Wolverine sure. is another one. There's also a long um, history, too, of uh, villain characters turning around and becoming heroes. Also in Marvel, a lot of them. I mean, more more than more than you think. Sure, you know, off the top of your head. But I mean, if you go back to, I mean, like like I I remember at one point, like Juggernaut was an X Men. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, Rogue. Um, that'd be a good topic. Yeah, for, Rogue for is another episode. one. You're right, Rogue yeah. is another one. Face turns. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Super villain face turns. <laughs> um. Okay. So, but let's start closing out. We'll close out the same way that we closed out for DC. So, what is a Marvel stunt? that you guys think best encapsulates the Marvel universe in one story. Because I mentioned one last week when we were talking DC and, and Tommy brought up his favorite of, of DC's kingdom come. And I threw in a mention to Marvel's. So I'll bring it up here for mine, which is the uh, four issue Marvel's miniseries by Alex Ross and Kurt Busick. It came out in January to April of 1994. It was a prestige book painted by Alex Ross, written by Kurt Busiek, uh, letters by Richard Starkings. And it retold pivotal moments in 
Marvel history and blended them into American history at the times that they were written up and through like Marvel's history up to that point. And it's, I mean, it's a beautifully illustrated book, mm-hmm. a beautifully painted book. It's a beautifully written book yeah. that takes a lot of those early ideas like from Golden Age, like the, it opens with original Human Torch, the the misunderstood android, and and gleans like the sophisticated ideas out of those really early, more yeah. simple, simply told stories back in the the late '30s, and and creates like these beautiful, like deep, nuanced versions of them. And and so that's definitely one of my favorite Marvel books of all time. What was what was the name of the character, the reporter character that they that they follow? Is sort of the through line. Phil Sheldon. So, really quick, is he a character that comes back anywhere? Is he from anything? Uh, I don't believe so. I don't think he's he's been. I mean, they've they've revisited the character as like part of Marvel's like other adjacent stuff. Okay, yeah, where they've revisited the idea, right? I I remember uh, I was very young when this came out, so you guys would maybe have a a better idea of what it was like when it came out. But I remember. This was before like people knew who Alex Ross was, right? 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 Yeah, that was his. It was his big explosion on the scene. Yeah, yeah. the fact yeah. that this book was painted, I remember my brother bringing it home and was like, "Take a look at this." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Whoa!" Like it just looked like <laughs> nothing else off of the rack, right? And I remember really quick because I because one of my favorite covers ever is Marvel's. I think number two. It's whichever one is the X Men cover, right? Angel. Yeah, the one of Angel like hold holding like the mutant girl from right. like from like the crowd from, throwing from rocks. The, yeah from the angry mob on the bottom. Oh my god, it's just it's, it's telling such a story in one image. I love it. We'll yeah. we'll put we'll put that um, cover up on the, in the notes section as well. Yeah, so, it's Marvel's number two. Marvel two, okay. Yeah, you're right. I do have a funny story real quick about that. When Marvels came out, um, the comic shop that I used to work for, the the retail that went to the retailers meeting for Marvel that year. They were just going through all this stuff of like all these Marvel's '90s titles, and nobody really seemed to care, right? They're like, eh, whatever. And then <laughs> they show a shot. They they put it up on the on the on the you know the, the PowerPoint or whatever. They show up on the screen the shot of Giant Man stepping across the street from the for the the viewpoint of being on the street, and everybody <laughs> lit up, right? <laughs> like they're like, oh my god, when can we get this book? And that was the thing about Marvel's that I that I never forgot was the idea that yeah, Marvel's at the time was completely revolutionary for what marvel was doing and then in 94 right you know yeah. and it definitely so. puts you on the street in the middle of all of these things in the right. middle of the galactus invasion yep yep well, that's Absolutely. cool yeah all right who's next i'll go next okay so for me when i think about marvel when i think about stuff in general and i and i thought about it for a while and i thought well i might i might go with the spider-man story but for me when i really think about marvel and and what you know, a Marvel story for me really is. I thought, you know, maybe Kree Scroll, but I would have to go with Great Dark with the Great Darkness saga. <laughs> I'd have to go with Dark Phoenix because it's such a culmination of all the stuff they're setting up and they're building towards and they're inching towards. And you can see the transformation of Jean Grey. And then you get to that final cover, which I believe is like 137, which is Cyclops and her in the blue area of the moon. They're fighting the um the Imperial Guard. And, you know, if you don't know how it ends, well, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's like a, like almost a 40-year-old book at this point. But, you know, just the culmination of all that stuff and it's Byrne and Terry Austin and Claremont all hitting on all cylinders and it just comes together and it goes into like, you know, the issue next when Cyclops takes off and it's a recounting of the Marvel Universe for the X-Men. 
to me, it's just one of the things where, I mean, I, I think about other Marvel stuff that I love and enjoy, but to me, that to me is just that it's just, it's really hard to get better than that storyline encapsulating what Marvel was all about for me. Interesting. Interesting choice. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a seminal book for a reason, right? Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's terrific. I, I was, be- I was betting with myself about which books you guys were going to say. So I lost that one. I thought for <laughs> sure, Frank, you were going to say a different one. But okay. <laughs> what yeah, did you think I, I was going to say? I huh? thought you either go with um, Secret Wars. Yep. That's what okay. I thought you were going to say. I like Secret Wars a lot. It's just yeah. one of those things where to me, it, it's, it's, you know, if you take the toy element out of it and it was just a book on its own, I might like it more. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the fact that it was designed to sell toys, it just kind of, <laughs> you know, it kind of cheapens it for me. Okay. Uh, okay. And, and Dark Phoenix has become like the Seminal. go-to model for a lot of comic storytelling after that. Mm-hmm. Like everybody chases that. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of the things where also like for the longest time, anybody that's ever dealt with the X-Men, you know, all of their stuff is just a love letter to Claremont, Byrne and Austin. Yeah. You know, that, that point is just there. That's the touchstone. So. Oh, okay. Well, for my choice, I also have a single love for X-Men, but I wasn't going to do that just because I guess it's the go-to one. To me, what shocked me was, it was, I believe it was Lobdell's run in which he kills Xavier and then gives us a whole new universe with Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. It's, it's not the best story. It it's sort of falls on its weight, but I love how they upend and give you the world of the X-Men turned upside down uh, uh, on what seemingly unstoppable villain and a whole brand new universe and a reimagination of the Marvel Universe through their imagery of mutants in which you don't see coming. They change every lineup. Uh, you know it's temporary. There's no way they stick to that you know, storyline and such. But it was a kind of shock to the system mm-hmm. on what they could do with the X-Men and, and potentially give you new characters or uh, just reimagine tweaks to it and such. Um, I enjoyed it for what it was. I mean, mind you, I, <laughs> there's a lot of it that doesn't hold up well, but their um, decision to shake it up in that way, shape, or form was was different to me. And I enjoyed their their attempt to, to creating something holy and new. You know, I mean, I could have went with, you know, a Finley Gauntlet, of course, but I, I, I think that's the uh, the uh, due to the cinematic universe. That's the thing that everyone reads or sees or even in, is memorable in that regard. That's my pick. <laughs> I don't no, mean to poop or anything. I just, Hack. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a cheat. It's a completely cheat. But I but I cheat in all of these. I always cheat, <laughs> you know, as we wrap up. No, I'm going to I'm saying Infinity War, the movie. OK, right. Like it's I mean, if you want if you want the Marvel Universe, it's there right there right you know it's a perfect encapsulation of everything that's great about it in my opinion that movie you know and um i'm actually astonished how little we talked about the movies in this episode but it's like the the one thing that gets me about the mcu is how little ground they've covered right now still there's so many characters that haven't shown up there's so many stories that they haven't done there's so much um there's so much still to be cultivated there, which I think is really uh, amazing. And, uh, and you know, I'm sure it will come up in more episodes. We will talk about the MCU, but I'm still, I love it. I love it top to bottom still. So, all right. So that's why we love the Marvel universe. Be sure to tell us in the comments why you love the Marvel universe 
And while you're there, if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, go ahead and leave a suggestion and we just might use it on the air. Also, please check out our website at letmenowhowitis.com where you can catch up on all of our past episodes, as well as find notes, links, and examples to some of the things that come up in conversation. You can also find the link to our YouTube channel where you can catch all of our episodes as well. Don't forget to subscribe there also. It helps the channel grow. And finally, don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash let me know how it is and follow us on Twitter at our show's initials, L-M-K-H-I-I. Thanks for listening and we will see you next week.